So here at Fellowship of Faith, we believe that God has something to say. And those of us who are interested in a relationship with God, it goes without saying that we, we want to hear it. And here at Fellowship of Faith, we think that God speaks primarily through the words of the Bible. That when we come to the Bible, it's not just a record of something 2,000 years ago. It's not just a collection of information. And it's not some dusty, old, musty history book. But that is the living, breathing way that the Holy Spirit continues to communicate, even to us in our day and age. That it's alive, that it's active, that it's sharp, that it has the capacity to encourage, to edify, to pierce. And most importantly, to give us windows of insight into the nature of who God is. Like, who is this guy? And how does he conduct his life? And what does a relationship with him look like? And how is he moving and prowling on the scene? This is why we root ourselves in the Bible so often. And we've been going through this amazing biography of Jesus that you'll find in the New Testament called John. And what I'd like to do today is read to you John chapter four. It's the next step in our journey in the story of learning who Jesus is and the life he's looking to bring. You can follow along if you'd like or just let the words wash over you. John chapter four, here's what it says. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Now, when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, we had to go through Samaria. So we came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me something to drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. But Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? as did his sons and his flocks and his herds. But Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to life of the age to come. The woman said to him, sir, give me some of this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw it. And he said to her, well, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. 
And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are now with is not your husband either. What you have said is in fact quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. So Jesus said, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We Jews worship what we do know, for salvation has come from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah or Christ is coming. When he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Now, just then his disciples returned. And they were shocked to find him talking with a woman. But no one had the guts to ask him, What do you want, or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, you got to come and see a man who told me everything, everything about myself, everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him some food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefit of their labor. Now it ends by saying this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we are no longer believers and no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard it for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I love this story. It's a cool story. There's so much in this story. And who is this woman, after all, that Jesus is interacting with? What do we know about her? What is she like? We could pick up details of what's going on. Is she someone that was just jumping around from guy to guy? Was she someone that was just used by guy to guy? Was she someone who couldn't have a child? And as soon as every husband found out, they dumped her and found herself going for someone else. 
What is this tension between Jews and Samaritans that exists? What is going on? Well, we've got a video here for you today. We stumbled across another E True Galilee story of someone who is there who can share with you some insights. Let it roll. So you grew up in Samaria, right? Let me tell you about Samaria. I lived there back in high school. I know, right? It's so embarrassing. Here. Let me help you out. This map is going to be your guide to living around Israel. Now, where you live is crucial because you got everybody there. You've got your Pharisee nerds, cool Sadducees, unfriendly Essenes, desperate Roman wannabes, burnouts, and the worst. Beware of the Samaritans. Wow, that's pretty fetch. So that girl from Samaria everyone's talking about. Did you ever meet her? Me? Yeah, I actually knew her. We were even friends for a while back in school. That's back when I was dating my boyfriend Kyle, who was totally gorgeous, but then he moved back to Indiana. Anyway, she may be one of the dumbest girls I've ever met. She sat next to me in English class, and she asked me how to spell the word orange. And boys, even stupider. This one guy even got her during the math leads, and she doesn't even like math. It's like she always had to have a boyfriend or something, you know? And it didn't even matter how they treated her. It was like she needed a guy to validate her. And of course, they never respected her. Like, who's gonna respect somebody who doesn't respect themselves, you know? I went off to college, she stuck around. Total townie. Pretty sad story, actually. I heard she got married like five times or something. Did she ever have any kids? I don't think so. I don't think she could. My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows this girl who said that her husband's kept dropping her because she couldn't give them a son. Like total Henry VIII style stuff, you know? And here she is getting this reputation and it's like not even her fault. But you know how it goes. Once you get a reputation and it starts to take root, it's the only way people think about you. So fetch. When did you see her again? So, I'm back in town visiting family, and like, there she is. I haven't seen her since high school. And she comes running up to us and she's like, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And I'm like, here we go again. So I say, oh my gosh, you totally have a crush on this guy. You love him. And he totally compliments you, and so now you're blushing? And my friend Karen's like, look at how red she is. I came to find out later, it's because she was out at the well at noon. I mean, who does that? It's like so hot. It's so hot that time of day, like stupid hot. I don't know. I guess she was trying to go there when no one else was around. Ends up, she met this guy named Jesus there. She starts telling us this story about how he asked her for something to drink. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Worst pickup line ever. I mean, how could she be so dumb? Doesn't she know what strange guys at Wells are after? But she sees where I'm going and she's like, no, it's not like that. So she goes on telling us this whole story about how he knew things about her he couldn't know. But not in a creepy stalker sort of way and how he treated her unlike any other guy has ever treated her and how he really didn't want to take things from her, but he offered her some kind of special water instead. I don't know. She was really wrapped up in it like he was God's gift to humanity or some kind of messiah or something. I'll tell you this much, it's the first time I've ever seen something like hope and self-respect in her eyes. Of course, we all had to go out and see, and he ends up staying in town a couple of days. Funny thing, it wasn't just her. A lot of people who met him started saying similar things. 
Wow, this whole thing sounds pretty fetch. Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not gonna happen. There are so many trails we can take in this story and so many things that it tells us about God and his way in this world that it wants to interact and the ways he wants to interact with us. So let me just try to keep it simple here today. And let's focus on something. What does this story show us about Jesus? Take a look. He's smarter than you think and knows things only God knows. Take a look. He knows your life. He knows your past. And there's no hiding. Take a look. He still wants to do life with you anyway. See, there's some of you here who are hiding. No, you go out in public and you have active social media posts and quote, share your life with people around, but the reality is inside you're hiding. There's something there, some kind of shame, some kind of guilt, some kind of past. Something about the nature of who you are that I think you're embarrassed about. Something that you feel scrutinized over, maybe judged over, maybe people will laugh at you about, critique you, or cut you down. Churches are filled with people who are hiding. Hundreds and hundreds of people who gather in rooms together and yet are hiding in their souls. And I can't believe fellowship of faith is any different. There are some of you here who are wearing a mask. On the outside, you put on this demeanor, you smile, you laugh. People ask how you're doing, you're like, great. And inside, you're dying. You know what I love about this story? Is it reminds me that we can't pull the wool over Jesus' eyes. We can hide from everyone else, but we can't hide from him. We can orchestrate the most elaborate plans to try to deceive, trick, an obfuscate, you like that word? Just came. <laughs> the nature of who we truly are, but Jesus sees through it all. He's smarter than we think. Our friends can be pretty stupid. Our parents can be even dumber. And our kids, well, there's no beginning in that conversation. No, we, we could be pretty dumb, can't we? And we can start to get this false sense of security, this, this, this almost egotistical, arrogant kind of self-confidence because we think that we are keeping the wool pulled over everyone's eyes, but not Jesus. He's smarter than you think, and he knows things that only God could know. There is no hiding from Jesus, but guys, hear this. He wants to do life with you anyway. You don't have to hide, not from him. You don't have to lie, 
Not with him. You don't have to pose. Not with him. You don't have to put on some false persona, pretend like everything's okay. You don't have to walk into a house of God as though you are on top of the world. Before God, you can be exactly who you are in your full, messy array. And hear this. Jesus wants to do life with you anyway. What else? Well, Look at this. Jesus befriends people others are embarrassed to be seen with. Look at this. Jesus embraces people who have hard lives and sordid pasts. Look at this. Jesus loves people who are sinful. You ever had that person in your life that you were content to have a secret friendship with, but you really didn't want it getting out in public? I'll come over to your house when no one else is there, but let's not eat together at school. Have you ever had that supposed friend in your life who treated you that way? That you always got the sense that you just didn't quite live up to their expectations, their reputation. And when push came to shove, they just seemed to be a little, just a little embarrassed by you. There's some of us here who don't come from a life that shines with glory. There are some of us here who the world would probably call the least of these. There are those of us who gather here who are not popular, not wealthy, not good-looking. There are those of us who gather here who others are flat-out embarrassed to be seen with, to associate with, to befriend. We gather here, don't we, some of us, with very hard lives and sordid pasts. Maybe it's not five husbands like the woman at the well. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a different trail of misery instead. A sequence of hardships in your life that repeated over and over again. You need to hear this. Jesus wants to be friends with people like you. Jesus is not embarrassed to be friends with you. Jesus is not embarrassed to have you as one of his disciples. He is not embarrassed to have you as a confidant. He is not embarrassed to have you in his kingdom. He is not embarrassed to be seen among you, standing by you, claiming that you are his friend. Jesus loves people. People who are sinful with hard lives and sordid pasts. Jesus loves the outcast, the disenfranchised, the forgotten and the laughed at. Jesus loves the ridiculed. Jesus loves the people who are stepped on, bullied, and trounced on. Jesus loves the people that everyone else ignores, dismisses, or spits on. Jesus loves you. How about this? Jesus will ask you for things. Or this. He'll offer you something greater in return. I think about the story and how about this? 
He'll challenge you and call you out. Or this. He'll let you change the subject, but he won't let you off the hook. Or maybe this. He's more honest than polite. There are some of you here who are here because you want something from God. Maybe it's something you've been asking for quite some time. Maybe it's something in your life that you can't figure out on your own, and so you need a higher power, or at least hope that there is one, to somehow intervene. There are some of you who literally came here with things that have happened today, and you're like, Lord, that's okay. Jesus wants you to ask him for things. But here's the thing about Jesus. He is going to ask you for things too. Because there are some of us here who would rather have one-sided relationships than two-sided relationships in this world. That our relationships are based on a pattern of what we can get from people or how they can benefit us rather than something that is purer and better in which we are walking in life together, sharing each other's burdens and struggles. Yes, Jesus will give you things, but Jesus will ask you things as well. Jesus is not looking for a one-sided relationship because no healthy relationship can be one-sided, and that includes with the Lord of life. No, Jesus wants to do life with you, but that means give and take. Yeah, Jesus wants a relationship with you, but it's not going to be the kind of relationship that some of us have with other people, that as soon as they start saying something we don't like, we tune them out. Because there are some of us here who only surround ourselves with people who say what we want to hear, who only tell us what we allow them to tell us, who only speak in the ways that we want. And the minute they cease to do so, we push them aside, we mute them, we cancel them out. Jesus is not going to be a friend like that. He's just not. You get into a relationship with this guy, you open a conversation with him, you are going to hear things you don't want to hear. He's going to call you out. And he'll let you cancel him. He'll let you defriend him. He'll let you put him on mute and cut him out of your life, he will. But he invites you into something deeper. Something deeper than a constant stream of a narrative that's all about me. He won't be belligerent. He won't force the conversation. He'll let you change the subject. But don't be surprised if you open that door to a relationship with Jesus, if he keeps talking about the same thing again and again that you would rather him put aside because it is true, he is more honest than polite. Because for Jesus, truth, truth is more important than your feelings. 
He will be gentle. He will be kind. He won't be belligerent or rude, but he will be direct. Because any relationship that exists has to be based in honesty. How much more with the Lord High God? And I want you to be encouraged by this as well. That the relationship that God is inviting you into is not a bait and switch. Ask me for something and I'll give it to you, but now I have your life. No, the mafia does that kind of thing. No, he will ask you for things like anyone in a relationship will ask you. But what Jesus has to give you is so much greater in return. Yeah, that's what a relationship with Jesus is like. So when do I think we get in this story? What else? What else do we see about Jesus and this woman at the well? How about this? Take a look. Jesus loves women. How about this? Jesus cares for women. How about this? Jesus spreads his kingdom through women. When I first put this slide together, I was going for brevity, and I showed it to Tina, my wife, in its original wording, this is 2.0, and she said, you can't word it that way. I had Jesus loved women, Jesus used women, and Jesus revealed himself to women. Not what we're going for here. <laughs> no, in fact, it's the exact opposite. Because ladies, let me speak to you. There are some of you here who have been used by men. There are some of you here who have been discarded by men. There are some of you here who have been brutalized by men, treated as second class by men, and even abused by men. Not Jesus. There are some of you here who have been told that because of your gender, you are not as valuable, important, or as much of a player in the kingdom of God. Not Jesus. What do we see from this woman that no one else will associate with? Someone who is, quote, beneath him. Hiding out at a well at the hottest part of the day so no one else will gather around with some kind of hard life or sordid past, whatever, whatever the details and nature of it might be. What do we see? He treats her with respect. What do we see? He treats her with kindness. What do we see? He treats her as an equal. What do we see? He treats her in such a way where he is not trying to use her or get something from her. Jesus is not the man who will treat you and enter into a relationship with you ladies because he wants something from you in that way, whether it's your body or sex or a child, or a source of comfort, or security, or someone to watch the kids. No, he looks at you in all the glory of the femininity that God has created you in and says, it is good, and loves you for who you are in it. And he uses you, puts you to work, invites you might be the better choice of terminology 
today? To be instrumental in his mission. Yeah, that's the kind of guy Jesus is. What else do we see from the story of the woman at the well? Take a look. Jesus denies himself to do what needs to be done for others. Take a look. Jesus is more interested in giving you what you need rather than what you want. Take a look. Jesus will stay with you if you invite him to. I love that little line. I don't know if you caught it, where the disciples come back and they find Jesus talking to this woman at the well. They're like, Master, did you eat? Rabbi, did you eat? And he's like, I got food that you know nothing about. And they just couldn't get it because Jesus will set his needs aside for your needs. He will set his future aside for your future. He will set his comfort aside for your comfort. Jesus will sacrifice himself for you. And he did. And he did. The entire premise of the Christian faith is not about what we do, but about what Jesus did. That here is the one who gave his all for you and me. But what he is looking to give is not always what we perceive because we come to Jesus, don't we, all of us, with our small-minded needs and wants and questions. The things that are so important to us the things that are so central to us, the things that we, we obsess over and, and, and build our lives around. And many of these things truly are good things. But Jesus, he wants to give you something greater. We come asking for water and he wants to give us springs. There are some of us here who are thirsty. We are thirsty in a way that we just can't seem to quench. And Jesus gives a living water where you will never be thirsty again. A new birth, a new life, a relationship with him. Oh, Jesus gives us things far beyond what we ask for. And he wants to do life with you. They invited him to stay. So he hung around for a few days. And he'll do the same with you. Jesus isn't just passing through. He's not just looking to have a singular conversation at the well of your life somewhere. No, as, as Revelation will put it, he stands at the door and knocks. And he says, anyone who opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him. Jesus wants to eat and drink with you. Invite him in. And he'll stay with you. It's the kind of life he offers and the kind of relationship he brings. And let me just simply end with this. What do we see about Jesus from this story that we come across in John 4 in his interaction with this woman at the well? He is the Messiah. He is the one the world has been waiting for. 
He is the Savior that God has sent. He is the Lord come dwelling with us again. He is the one that you have been looking for. I believe this. He is the one that you have been looking for even if you don't know that you have been looking for him. He is the one offering something that you want even if you don't know how to articulate it. He is the one bringing the hope and the answers and the perspective that you're searching for. Even if you don't know how to wrap your mind around it, he is the one getting the job done when everyone else is just talking about it. This is the picture that John is looking to give you. That this friend, that this apostle, that this disciple of Jesus is looking to show you this is who we meet alongside this woman at this well. And my hope today is that this little journey through the story may have given you a little bit better picture of who this Jesus is that has something to say as well. Let those words resonate with you and hear from God what you need to hear today. Or as John will say, he who has ears, let him hear. Let's stand and let's pray. Lord, today I pray on behalf of those gathered here today who are thirsty. You offered that woman living water. And you offer us the same. Lord, for those who are thirsty, may they come to you and drink. May we drink deeply and never be thirsty again. Lord, I pray on behalf of those who are gathered here today who are hiding behind smiles and polished exteriors, who are hiding because they're embarrassed or ashamed, who are hiding because they're afraid of what people will say, of how they'll be judged, of how they'll be treated. I want to pray on behalf of those who are gathered here today who are afraid that if what is in the dark came into the light, afraid it would change a relationship or a course of life forever. Lord, I pray that they come to see that with you, we're in good hands so that we can trust you with our deepest, darkest secrets. I pray that they come bringing what they are hiding in the darkness into your presence. And that they know that you love them not despite their pasts and the hardness of their life. That you love them because of it. There are those of us gathered today and I pray on their behalf 
pray on behalf of those who are seeking only what we can receive. Lord, may we be marked as people who also give. May we treat this life with you as a relationship, not a handout, not a reward, not just something to get. Forgive us, God, when we find ourselves in that place. And I pray for the women who are gathered here today, especially those who have been hurt in life, particularly by men. I pray you bring healing wholeness, restoration, and confidence. Lord, I pray that you help them to see their femininity as a gift and image of you, not something that relegates them to second tier or unimportant or invaluable in your kingdom. I pray that we who gather here today come to call on you as Savior and Lord. Our Messiah, our Christ, chosen one of God to save us and redeem us and bring us new life. God, may that be our reality today. If our hearts are hard, may they flow Flow with your spirit in springs of water of life. If our souls are dead, bring them back to life. Holy Spirit, work in us today. Amen.